Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So we're going to be in Mark this morning. Chapter 10, verse 17. So the last time we covered two Sundays ago where Jesus speaks about marriage and divorce in the beginning of that chapter, and today we're going to look at what most Christians know, if you've been a Christian for some time, you've come across this portion of Scripture. It's in three of the Gospels called the Rich Young Ruler. Now, I have to say off the bat what the Rich Young Ruler is not about. Unfortunately, sadly today, we live in the age of disinformation, and there are some that under the guise of pastors or clergy will take the scripture and completely twist it out of context. This portion of scripture really has nothing to do with wealth redistribution. It doesn't mean that rich people are bad. Believe it or not, I'm going to make the case that this has really nothing to do with being rich, being young, or being a ruler. And you might say, well, what's it about? It really has more to do with heart idols. This particular person that really comes to Jesus and accosts him has a problem. He's got this, this wealth that he's amassed, and it's really hindering you know, two things that can happen when we build up these heart idols in our life. It could hinder us from salvation, for those that don't know the Lord. In addition to that, if you do know the Lord, it can, it can completely stagnate you in your walk with the Lord. Right? It stagnates the growth. This is what heart idols do. We end up serving them instead of serving God. Now, there's some people today that think, gee, if I could just have a million dollars. You know, I've done a study on people that had won the lottery, and it's actually depressing, right? I don't know if you know this, but just getting a million dollars isn't going to help anybody. As a matter of fact, the rich young ruler had probably more than that in, in the, that time. He had it all. He was young. He had authority. He had money. And he still comes to Jesus because there's something lacking. But then again, again, talking about this study about the lottery, um, some have committed suicide, some have overdosed, divorce. uh, I mean, just really tragic endings to people that all of a sudden, it's a complete change of lifestyle. Then you've got to think of, you know, my other profession, you've got to think about your kids because it's public knowledge that you have all this money. Now you've got to consider security for your kids, security for your house, if you didn't have it before, because those people will prey upon you to try to get some of that money. So I think the most tragic thing is when Christians, in their shallowness, they're always looking for money. They're always looking, and this is going to change them, this is going to help them, but not according to the Scripture. kind of reminds me of the guy who prays to God, and he says, God... And God goes, yes, my son. He goes, how much is a million years to you? He goes, about a minute. God, yes, my son. 
How much is a million dollars to you? About a penny. God, yes, my son. Can I have a penny? <laughs> In a minute. <laughs> All right. Starting with verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, this is about Jesus, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered, and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. So who is this guy coming to Jesus so dramatically? Well, and I love putting the, all the scriptures together. In Matthew 19, Matthew tells us that this guy's young. Luke 18 tells us he's a ruler. And by all accounts, we're told that he's rich. So we know him as the rich young ruler. Right? That's his moniker to us as believers today. So the first thing he does is he runs to Jesus and he kneels before him. It's almost like he's sliding into home base. I'm picturing this guy doing this. And this is highly unusual behavior for a man of his status back in those days. Wealthy people, patriarchal people, there were certain elements of society that it was beneath their dignity to behave in a certain way. But this guy, he's running to Jesus and he kneels before him. But he had a sincere desire to know. Tell me about eternal things, Lord. And this is really a question that every person on the planet should ask. I've got to tell you, I've lived uh, many years as a non-believer, as a heathen. And this question would often keep me awake at night. So even though I wasn't a Christian, it bothered me. What's going to happen when I die? Okay, we can pick apart as theologians and say, well, he said, what must I do? Versus, you know... Yeah, he's not there, but he's seeking, he's searching. Verse 18, Jesus, instead of answering his question directly, diverts the man. Look at the conversation. He diverts this man to a question about Jesus' deity, about a revelation of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is key to answering the man's question about eternal life. In other words, he's saying to the man, think about what you just said. You called me good. Many of the rabbis, many of the devout rabbis of the day would not have their teachers or their students call them good because they felt that it was only reserved for God. So he's saying to the man, you called me good. We know that good is reserved for God. What are you saying to me? What, do you realize the implications of what you're saying? Now, I've seen some take this completely out of context. You can take scripture out of context and make it say whatever you want to say. And some have taken it out of context and said, see, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's not what he's saying. See, this was a typical, typical rabbinical style, and it works today, too, uh, where you ask questions. Right? If you're asking a person a question and they give you an answer, and then you ask them a follow-up question, this goes on for some time, you're pulling it out of them, what maybe even being in their subconscious, and they're coming to terms with what they're saying. Interrogations work like that, too. You just keep asking questions and questions, and eventually stuff comes out of the person. So if Jesus was not claiming to be God, then why the solution to the man, his eternal life solution, is to follow Jesus. 
What man who's not claiming to be God would say, well, part of the answer to your question or your quandary is to follow me to eternal life. Verse 19. I'm sorry, yeah, verse 19. Notice, Jesus only refers, if you catch this, there's ten commandments, and they're really a, um, a microcosm of the, of the entire law. Right? The four, first four have to do with man's relationship to God. The last six have to do with man's relationship to man. So they're really you know, broken down nicely. Jesus doesn't ask them any of the first four. He only asks them about the groupings, the last groupings, about man's responsibility to man. Why? Well, I can't answer every question in the Bible, but I can only speculate that it's possible that this man was a religious man. And he already thought in his self-deceived mind that he kept the first four because he was religious. Well, I, I keep the Sabbath and I, I worship God and I serve God. But what he didn't realize was because he, his money was his God, he broke the first two commandments. And if Jesus maybe had said that to him, it made a, might have ended the conversation. Right? Jesus tried to build a bridge with people and then he would teach the hard truths later on in the conversations once he had that relationship going with them. So the first two commandments, trust God and serve God only. However, this man was trusting in his riches and serving his riches. And he didn't even realize he was doing it. Jesus uses this technique later espoused by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.24 where it says this, The law is a tutor to bring us to Christ that we would be justified by faith. So what did Jesus do? He starts with the commandments. And then he, he turns up the heat. He turns up the pressure. Right? right. The guy says, well, I, I've followed the commandments. Well, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that, you know, if you're angry with a person, and in your heart, you, you know, you don't act on it, but in your mind, you're like, I'd really like to strangle that person. You committed a sin. Right? So the Ten Commandments, even our thoughts, can betray us. Because God is a perfect and holy God, and we're not. And I'll be the first one to tell you, the more I read the Bible, I know that every day I sin and I have to repent of those sins. And the more I look at the law, the more I realize I need a Savior to deliver me from the law. Because on my own, standing before a God, His law would condemn me. But the beautiful thing is what Jesus did was He died on the cross and He buried those sins. He took our sins so that we wouldn't have to face the punishment He did on the cross. But we receive now grace in its place. But back in the Old Testament, the law was a tutor to bring the people to say that they needed a Savior. And Christ is that Savior. You've got to watch out for... We're on, we're on the subject of religion. You have to watch out for religious deception. Religious deception teaches that, well, all you have to do is be a part of our organization. All you have to do is give money. All you have to do is do some rites and rituals, and you're good to go. Just do what we say. And then another denomination will say, well, no, that's not right. Come over here. Give us the money. Let us show you what our rules are and do what we say. And you end up scratching your head saying, well, what do I do? Right? That's religious deception. You just get confused. But the Bible is very clear. All we have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for our sins and we're saved. You see Jesus leading him down that road. Yeah, salvation is, God made it simple for us. You could have no money, you could have no friends, you could have uh, no education, and you can still be saved without anybody else's interference, including the church. Now, 
Matthew 19, I have to jump to Matthew 19, and I'll just tell you what it says. So in, in Mark, the last thing that the, the man says to Jesus' teacher, I have observed all these commandments from my youth. However, in Matthew 19, we get a little bit more clarification where the, the rich young ruler also says, so what do I still lack? Jesus, I kept these commandments. What do I still lack? What's missing in my life? What is it? I can't put my finger on it. The answer is, is that every person who's alive, that would mean all of us here, has a God-shaped vacuum, the way it's, it's been explained to me, in their heart. And the only thing that can fill it is God. That's what makes us complete. You don't think rich folks have trouble? You don't think their kids get in trouble? You don't think there's marital problems in rich families? There are. So obviously it's not the money that's, that's going to do it. It's got to be God. And it's this big vacuum, this big hole that we throw. New car in, another vacation, another degree, another promotion. We keep throwing stuff into that hole, and it's a bottomless pit. The only thing that seals it is the relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go, oh, I don't have to throw anything in that hole anymore. It's been satisfied. So this guy is asking Jesus, what do I still lack? Now this is fascinating because the Greek word for ruler, he was a ruler, the word is archon, where in the English we get arch or arc as a prefix. He could have been a synagogue ruler. He could have been a religious man. And if you were a synagogue ruler back then, you also had status, you had wealth. A lot of things went with that. He could have been a judge. Well, if he was a judge, he had authority. He made money. He was probably tied in with the Romans. Or he could have been another of society's dignitaries, an important person in the world. That's what the Bible is telling us. From a worldly sense, this man had it all, but he was still empty. Let's fast forward to 2014. Can we think of somebody in our society that has status, that may have authority, that may have wealth, that may be tied in with uh, their community and maybe the community overlooks certain things because of this person's influence? We could look at maybe a, a politician we could look at a celebrity. Unfortunately, today we seem to have celebrity politicians. They've kind of, those, those two roads have crossed. Um, they could be a ball player. They could be one of many things in our society. So let's not just look at this as some story 2,000 years ago. Hey, Pastor, that was really nice. You kept it short. It's a beautiful day. I'm going to go out to the park. We need to make the application to 2014 New Jersey style, don't we? <laughs> because it does. It does apply. Now here's a question. How do, we, how do we as believers, how do we comport ourselves when we deal with somebody like this man? Let's say we met the governor. Let's say we met a ball player. Let's say we met um, a celebrity, something. You know, any of a garden variety of these Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, all the doctors on the talk show circuits, right? How would we act? Would we act different? Would we push past other people to get to them? If they were in the church, would we, would we, would we be clamoring for an autograph or a selfie? I hope not. I knew a man who worked in the city and was always around celebrities, and he would go to his church and he would do this as a routine. He would have Christians and take them into the city. And this would go on for some time. Saw a lot of selfies. 
Heard about a lot of autographs. Didn't hear about a lot of people trying to give that person the gospel. Right? It's something to think about. Do we just say, well, this is good for church, but when I get out into the world and I do my routine the, the, the next six days of the week, I'm just going to be like everybody else? I think that says a lot. See, Jesus was not moved by this man. He didn't say, hey, you know, let's talk. I'll help you with salvation. I got Herod on my back. You know, I got the Pharisees. Will you do me a favor? Let's do, you, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't need anything that this man had. And brothers and sisters, we don't need anything that they have. The rich young rulers of today. Here's what the Bible says. It says, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may not be of, well, maybe of God, but not of us. We don't realize. We don't realize the power, right? The treasure that we have in earthen vessels. And God wants us to give it to others. It's like if you found a treasure, wouldn't you want as many people to be blessed? The poor guy on the street, you know, the, the, the checkout guy at, the, at the, the Walmart who's been working this job forever and he can't seem to make his bills? We would be like, wow, we have this treasure. It's just overflowing and it never runs out. That's what the gospel is. That's what the way to everlasting life is. I just want to encourage you with that. I'm not yelling at you. I just want to encourage you. <laughs> We have that power. I think of, uh, you know, instead of begging for selfies with famous people, I think of um, like a, a lion. You know, you see these lions out in the wild and, and these, you know, conservationists and stuff, and it's, it's rejected by its pack, this cute little cub, this cute little fuzzy lion, and somebody takes it in and they nurse it with the bottle and they play and scratch its belly and... Then the lion becomes several hundred pounds and they're wrestling on the floor. And I've seen these videos. It's like, that's pretty scary. And then, and then the, the, the family chihuahua has a bad day, goes up to the lion. And the lion goes, ah, and he gets scared and he turns tail. How many videos have we seen of that? Let's not be like that lion. The lion doesn't realize he's the king of the jungle. He could take one gulp out of that chihuahua. You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's, let's put this in perspective. I'm not saying that we should take a gulp out of anybody. You, I think you understand the analogy. Verse 21. Treasure in earthen vessels. Then Jesus, looking at him, he looks at this guy, this dignitary, this man that maybe... How did he get to Jesus, by the way? He runs, and Jesus always had a crowd around him. Maybe he was known in the neighborhood, and everybody... Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, that's Bob. Bob. He's important. Let's get out of the way. He wants to go see Jesus. And I just love to think like that. What happened back then? How did this guy just run up and get Jesus' attention without having to push through the crowds? Maybe he was that important that the common folk knew, we know our place. Let Bob get to the head of the line. Let him go see Jesus. He's important. I don't know. But this is what the Bible says. It says, Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Now, if that was me, it would have been great. Oh, I only like one thing. This is super, right? Well, let's look at his prescription. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away grieved because he had great possessions. Why did Mark say, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
Who cares? Mark, what are you putting that in for? Why is that important? Why does it matter what Jesus felt inside as he looked at the man and he had to tell him something that was a hard truth? Well, the answer is because Jesus now had to play spiritual surgeon. And he looked into the man's soul and he said, boy, that's a big spiritual tumor. And you know, I, I don't know if we can go through all the regular you know, things that we do and procedures. I've got to get a knife and I've got to get in there and I've got to excise that. I've got to take it out. But I want you to know something. I love you. You're in good hands. You'll survive the operation. It'll be painful, but you've got to work with me. Because if I let you go in this condition, it's going to kill you. And it's going to kill you eternally. Sometimes true and loving actions are painful to the receiver. See, this is one of my problems with motivational speakers who masquerade themselves as pastors. Just call yourself a motivational speaker. Well, I don't like to say hard things. Well, I don't like to disappoint people. I don't, hey, sometimes the Bible does that. It's, it cuts both ways. I'll tell you this, that even for the average believer, if we don't have the courage at times to say hard things, then you know what? We don't know truly and fully how to love. Let me say that again. If we don't have the courage at times to say hard things, then we really don't truly know how to love. We have become a nation of enablers instead of giving people the hard truth that will set them free and change their lives forever. When all this is gone, when God makes a new heavens and a new earth, all this is just a memory. All the things we have in our garage, guys in our tool sheds, ladies in our closets, when all that goes away, never to be seen again, it's only going to be people and Jesus Christ and some angels and the living creatures and the sea of glass and really cool stuff that we're going to get to see in heaven, which I went through in Revelation. But I think we're just going to be so enamored by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're truly going to understand what he did for us in dying for our sins. Many refuse confrontation for a variety of reasons, including rejection. But Jesus, re Jesus experienced rejection. Are we greater than the Lord? I'm going to say that a few times. Are we greater than the Lord? Right? The Lord had to experience some difficult things. And he said, listen, if you're carrying my message, if you're living a godly life, you're going to have troubles too. And then, so how do we act as if, well, that's, well, whatever, he's the son of God, or, you know, that's, you know, you're in ministry, you're supposed to do that. No, this is for everyone. How do we expect that Jesus is to go through things we're supposed to emulate him? If we're really doing it right, we are going to have trials. We are going to face rejection. Jesus, you think Jesus was happy that this guy walked away? No, he loved him. And the guy severed the tie. Now, let's make this clear. Jesus is not saying that all rich people have to sell everything they have and do this. This is not even really about riches. Again, Jesus looked into the man's soul and he saw what was hindering him. Now, when he looks into our soul, he might see a garden variety of other things spiritually that's hindering us. You know, if we sit back and go, oh, Pastor Joe, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. Great story. I'm going to go play golf after this. You know? No, 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 no. Stay seated. Because you, we have to allow the Lord Jesus to look into our soul as well and see what's there. And you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, we know what's hindering our growth. We know, for those that aren't saved, what's hindering us from coming to the Lord. The man said, 
Now, here's where, and a lot of people pick what he said apart, and it's understandable, but remember, this guy's not a spiritual man. The man says, what shall I do? And Jesus steered him from do what I can do, how I can attain, how I can inherit, to believe and trust in. That's important because God did all the heavy lifting. If it's something that we could do, what do we do in society? We lift ourselves up. We have a street named after us or a, a college wing or you know something to say how important we are. It isn't about what we can do. It's what we can believe and trust in because the one, Jesus, already did it. He already paid the price. And following the Lord is just a natural progression when we put our faith and trust in him. Now, when people come up to the front to receive Jesus, it isn't a one-time thing. I mean, it's really a one-time thing when you come up, but from that point, we desire a relationship with the living God. Right? We don't just call on him when we need him. We did that when we were unbelievers. We desire him in our life. What are we putting our trust in? Well, if we want to do a little bit of an investigation, we can probably sit down and ask ourselves, what does my time, my affection, and my, my money go to? That's probably where I'm putting my trust in. But only Jesus saves. Now, it, this isn't to say that six months down the road, or a month down the road, or two days down the road, that the guy didn't come back to Jesus and say, you know, it, it killed me at first, Lord. And, and I, I wrestled with all that I have. But I'm still not settled. And my riches are still not making me happy. So I've decided, I sent a servant, he's getting rid of it all. Can you, can you include me with your group? We don't know that that didn't happen. It could have happened. See, the Bible gives us a snapshot of time. So beautiful. We wonder about these things. Whatever happened to Nicodemus? What happened to Joseph of Arimathea? What happened to Mary Magdalene? Well, one day we'll find out. What happened to the rich young ruler? I don't know. Maybe he got saved. Maybe after the resurrection, he just, he just gave it all away and said, what he's doing is eternal. I can't compete with this. I've got to give my heart to him. So take heart in that sense. Verse 21, Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. And folks, it's the same prescription today. Now, I know if we turn on the Trinity Broadcasting Network or some Christian TV or read some Christian book, it's going to tell us something different. And I don't know how anyone has had, is able to have the, the, the chutzpah or the hubris to decide that Jesus had a cross and then he got his crown, in a sense. And we want to do it, we want to get the crown without the cross. That just shows how shallow Western Christianity is. We turn on the TV and we read the books and we like what they say because it ministers to our flesh but is doing nothing for us spiritually. No cross, no crown. Jesus says, take up the cross and follow me. Are we greater than Jesus? Do we think we're going to circumvent what Jesus said that we would naturally go through? No. Verse 22, the rich young ruler was sad, and it says he left uh, grieved. And these are very strong words in the Greek. One of them gives the picture of having storm clouds come in. This guy was sad. He was grieved. Let's say it. He was depressed. He was despondent. Despondent. Why? Because he loved his possessions. If you don't know the Lord this morning, do not let your possessions, your relationships, or anything hinder you from a walk with the ever-living God. Don't play Russian roulette every day and hope and think and expect because we're young. 
And people do this all the way to the 60s, 70s, 80s. I got another day. I got another day. I'll wake up tomorrow just like one of these days. I'll get to it. That's the biggest lie from the devil. If he could just get you to draw it out, draw it out, draw it out, eventually you die and you stand before your creator. Don't delay in, in, in walking with him. God's truths have the ability to cause great pain. Listen, the Bible says that we're to be holy, not happy. And I know I'm competing with a lot of people. I know I saw a clip of what Victoria just said about God wanting us to be happy and what church is about. And Of course, she didn't use any scripture. I wouldn't expect her to. God wants us to be holy. Holy. He's a holy God. He's separate, right? The more that we don't look like the world, but we look like Jesus Christ, we're starting to get it. And you know what holiness leads to? It's not a scary word. It really isn't. Holy, we can ask the Lord for that. More of the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to be holy. Holiness le leads to contentment. Holiness leads to peace. And at times, that leads to happiness. There you go. Do it the right way. See, happiness is a fleeting emotion. Nobody can be happy all the time. There's actually a condition, a medical condition, a psychological condition for it. You know what that's called? Being manic. They're constantly in that... <laughs> then they crash. It's not normal, it's not healthy for the body or the mind. This, this whole, I know there's a song and it's very catchy. Happiness is the truth. You know, it's, it's so, it makes you feel so good. And I like being happy. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a big grump up here. But happiness is not the goal. We don't live in reality when we just want to be happy all the time. I'd rather have peace in my life through the storms I'd rather be content and look back at my life and say, I'm happy where I am. I'm content. You know, where God has placed me, I'm settled with it. Even with the highs and the lows, I'm good. I like that because to me, that's stability. We need to look for stability. Not listening to these pinheads who keep talking about happiness. It's, it's not reality. But it sells good books and it sells uh, stadium tickets. I know that. It's not good theology. Many came to Jesus because they knew he had the answers, but many also departed because they couldn't swallow the truth. The rich young ruler in this snapshot of time could not swallow the truth. Doesn't mean it didn't change later on. I could tell you that even in my own personal life, I remember uh, a, a young couple who got to know me first because I helped them, and I'll try to be very vague. And they liked me as a person. They found that I was a pastor and they showed up at the church and all smiles. I was so happy to see them. <laughs> and they sat down and I preached. It wasn't a terribly convicting message, but it, it was using the word. And they got up and I saw them afterwards and that ended the relationship. And they, I wanted to introduce them around and they, thank you, very polite, walked out the door. I can tell you something. I'm a tough guy, but I have a heart too. It hurt me. So what do I do? <laughs> I need your advice. What do I do? <laughs> do I change what I'm doing? Do I water down the scripture so I can make more friends? Or do I do what the Bible, what God has called me to do? Ministry can be a hard and lonely road at times. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And if we're following in his footsteps, that'll happen to us too. You know, when he needed personal you know, brotherhood, camaraderie, at his most important time, everybody left him. <laughs> you think one of them could stuck, stuck around? You know, even John followed at a distance. Peter, 
right? No one denied him and sold him out. Right? If we're doing it right, these things are going to happen to us. Now, I've got to tell you something, too, about idols. When, you, when somebody overreacts to a situation, whatever it is, some of the things I expressed before, and they get really vehement, and they start saying, don't judge me, and all this kind of stuff, and you just, just mentioned it. Sometimes that's an indicator of where their idol is. That might be an idol that's hindering them. They want to protect it so much. It's like when you get a, you ever have like a, a deep metal splinter or a wood splinter, and it starts to get infected and red and hot and swollen, and you know, you've got to get rid of it because it's starting to infect your, infect your whole finger, and you go to the, the doctor, and, and, and they touch it, and you go, ah, no, that's okay, I think I'm going to leave now. You want to leave the office because that hurts. But he's like, no, you can't leave. I, gotta get, I just saw that. I've got to take that out. I've got a Hippocratic oath I've got to kind of follow here. But it's the same thing spiritually. Sometimes we've had these things in our life for so long, and they've built things up around them, and it's, it's very painful to have it removed. And we, we pull away, or we get defensive. Don't touch me. That hurts. You know? Verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered and said to them, Look, listen, to, follow these words, like the, the detail. He says to them, grown men, he says, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished Beyond measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But looking at them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with God, for with God, wait, <laughs> it's, the, it's the lack of sleep, sorry. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. If we read the Bible too quickly, we can miss subtle points. Why were they astonished and then astonished beyond measure? They walked with him for years. What's the big, the big surprise to them? Because the rabbis taught. I don't know if the rabbis had their own TV show, you know. But the rabbis taught that if you were rich, you had God's favor. Because I got to tell you, being poor back then was a hard life. You literally worked until you died, right? Some of you know people that have, have done that. Um, to be wealthy, you were insulated now from hardships, from the weather, from hard work, from backbreaking, from, from being hungry. You understand? So they wrongly associated wealth with God's blessing. Sound familiar? Yeah, 2,000 years ago, boy, that's still alive and well. So these guys were, they were astonished. Now, in verse 23, Jesus said, for those who have riches, and in verse 24, he qualifies it more, which gets to the heart of the matter. He said, for those who trust in riches. We're only to trust in God. Not a relationship, not a degree, you know, not my, my spare time, my play time, but trust in Jesus Christ. I want to read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11, just before we start to wind it down. We're not going to finish the whole chapter. In Mark, but First Timothy six six through eleven. Now again, this is this is an idol of riches, but it, you can insert anything in here. The Apostle Paul says to his young discipled young man, he says to him, "Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, 
With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. Money's minding its own business. It's a medium of exchange. It has no good or it has no bad. Okay, it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, even pulls people away from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, or O woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Jesus refers to grown men, and in his group, there might have been one or two that were older than him. Who knows? He was in his 30s, his early 30s, when he was crucified. And he refers to these men, these hardened men, those children. Why did he say that? Such an endearing term, because this was a hard topic. He really needed them to understand, and you know, this was a hard thing for them to swallow. Now, there's, I've seen two extremes in Christianities. The one you know I, I despise. Under the pretense of being loving, you're actually lying. You never tell anybody that they're doing something wrong. You can watch them going down the wrong path, but you know it's going to cause an argument, so you don't say anything. Under the pretense of love, and it's not, we refuse to say the hard things. Now, there's another extreme. You ever met somebody, and i got to tell you something, new people who come to a church and meet this type of harsh, legalistic person, they don't come back to church because it's such a bad example. You ever meet somebody who calls themselves a Christian and just loves saying hard things. They love talking about hell. They love talking about discipline. They seem to, to get excited over it. I hate disciplining people. I hate saying hard things. But you know what? It has to be done. We're, we're not to love it. We're to do it in love. But we're not to love saying the hard things. It should break our hearts when we go through it. And of course, Jesus makes a, he uses hyperbole. It's, you know, easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, why is this? Because wealthy people, not all, some are good, godly Christian people, support missions and all kinds of stuff, they can tend to allow riches, just like back then, 2,000 years ago, they can tend to allow those riches to insulate themselves from all life's trials and tribulations. So what are they trusting? Not God. I don't need you, God. I got my security system. I got my air conditioning. I got my, you know, all these things. I don't, thank you. You know, I got really good doctors, the best, the best in New Jersey. To insulate themselves from all of life's trials and tribulations. Here's a hard truth. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So if you're doing it right, you're going to have trouble at times. Verse 26, the disciples were astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Well, here's the answer. By your own means, by my own means, the answer is nobody. The rich young ruler said, what can I do? Give me it. Give me the, the, your list. I'll do it. Okay, I got eternal life. Jesus said, no. It's not about what you can do. It's only that God saves, and don't let anything hinder you from getting into the kingdom of heaven. Anything we put in front of God becomes a God, and God won't be second place. Verse 27 is what gives us hope. Let me just read this again. But looking at them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things. Now he's going beyond the realm of this rich young ruler. This is a blanket statement. All things are possible. This morning, 
What do you see as impossible in your life? Maybe it's not a riches issue. What is it? What have you been praying about maybe for a few years? What are you struggling with? What is it when you think you get mastery over it, you fall back like five steps? Right? What is it? What is it that you need deliverance from? God can do it. Because with God, all things are possible. I purposely read those three um, prayer uh, praise reports in the beginning of service. Because I wanted, and you, and you all clapped, especially the little girl who had leukemia. Because God can do anything. If you really put your faith and trust in him, watch him work. But you've got to believe. It's kind of double-minded to, to, to be praying to God, and you're just kind of going through the motions, and you really don't believe it. He's, he's like, he's, he's our father. He, you don't think he can see through that? We've got to have faith. And our faith starts out small, and then it starts to grow. So, I just want to make this personal. Whatever you're struggling with this morning, see one of the, the pastors or elders or their wives, and we'll pray for you. And we'll even pray that God gives you more faith. But you've got to trust him. You've got to believe. And you know what? He'll never let you down. Last few verses, 28. Then Peter said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. You've got to love Peter. He's back on his game again. <laughs> he was quiet there for a while and let John kind of do his talking, but Peter's back in the game again. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's. Now remember, he didn't say you left it because you're intolerable and you don't get along with people and that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you, you, by serving the Lord and you're, you're desiring to do the things of the Lord and you're committed to him, other people don't want to deal with you. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution, he put that in there, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Remember, he says, we will also get persecutions. And we read that in 2 Timothy. As far as um, uh, gaining family members, you know, my biological family personally is people have died off and it's, it's shrinking. I don't have that much of a biological family. But my spiritual family is huge. So I'm, I'm a spiritual brother. I'm a spiritual father. I'm a spiritual son uncle, all that kind of stuff. And it's really neat. So God, he puts us in families. Maybe it's not, we're tied by biology, you know, but we are tied in and God will put us in families. The Bible tells us that. So the first will be last and the last first. You ever hear the expression, I'm just looking out for number one? Bad expression. <laughs> you might as well say, I'm really trying to gain lasthood because he says those who want to be first right those who are first will be last those who are last will be first and i'm looking out for number one we're always even as, as believers there's some believers they're so self-centered everything is about them and they even have this deceived idea that when they get to heaven maybe god will move everything out of the way so they could be right in the front there i gotta tell you as a pastor i read what goes on in the persecuted church the sudanese pastor who's had his uh, church bombed three times by the Khartoum government, have, has had uh, church members slaughtered, has uh, had, have the actual machete marks, of, and he just keeps preaching. He's, he's living on borrowed time. I'm more than happy when I get up there to go, 
Hey, Eric, help me roll up the red carpet for this guy, because this guy, he's, he's, he's good. You know, you've got to have a perspective check. Being a pastor in the United States, what persecution? People say bad things about you. They, they leave the church, whatever. It has nothing to do, and it doesn't compare with those who now are last will be first in the kingdom. So as we close, let's just look at this from two angles. Number one, the rich young ruler. Here's a guy who asked a question. He opened the door for Jesus to look into his heart. Jesus did look into his heart, and he found things wanting. Us, by extension, might fall into that category. And we really should ask the Lord, what is it in my heart? Have I built up heart idols? Is there something, Lord, that's hindering me from coming to you? Why is it that I really want to in one sense, but I can never make the commitment? Or as a believer, you know, have I done things that just have stunted my growth? 10, 20, 30 years as a believer and nothing's changed. We should always be moving towards being closer and be more like him and be, you know, in, in that way, that maturing process. So now let's look at this from not the rich young ruler, but let's look at this now from the other side of the coin, the disciples. Right? And by extension, all of us who call ourselves Christians. We have a ministry. No, 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 Pastor Joe, I don't want to be a pastor or a pastor's wife or a missionary. No, but you don't understand. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. We all have the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit to talk to people and maybe even share your own testimony and give them something, this earth, this treasure, right, that we have in earthen vessels that they don't have. So we have that ability as well. And we may have to be asking ourselves, what is it that really keeps me from doing effective ministry? Because if you are trustworthy to the Lord, He will use you to bless other people. And it's a feeling that money or any of those other things cannot, you know, cannot, you know, get. Here's the other question. How many people do we know in our lives? How many have we run into like the rich young ruler? And have we ever responded to that? Right? Maybe have we responded to that or we tried to, but we felt ill-equipped. To me, that would say, you know what, Lord, help me, Lord. Help me to reach this person. They're clearly lost. You know, my coworker, my supervisor, my neighbor that I've been neighbors with for 15 years. They look like they're struggling, and, and I want to help them, Lord. Open the door for me. Right? Family member, somebody in the church that's struggling. So I think that when we started this, we might have looked at this as a story about some rich dude who runs into Jesus, they have a conversation, and the guy doesn't like what he hears. But I really know that as we open this up, there's a whole lot more to it. And let's pray about how this will affect us in our lives going forward. Let's pray. listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.